Hi, I'm Samantha Boffin, and this is Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing, the podcast that helps you find, prep, and direct the perfect voice artists for your projects so you can get the most from every single booking. Hello, I'm Samantha, and welcome to Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing. We're going to be talking about voice coaching this week with British voiceover and coach Tanya Rich. Working with voices who are trained and know what they're doing is crucial for every director and creative. And this interview with Tanya is a bit of a masterclass because it's full of information about how the job of the professional voiceover has evolved, what that means for the industry right now, and how to get the most out of your voice artist. Tanya is the voice artist and coach behind Richcraft. All the details will be in the show notes. And she knows what makes the difference between a professional voiceover and someone who has simply decided it might be a fun job and has pulled a couple of reels together. So let's get on with the show. So today I'm joined by my friend and my coach, actually, Tanya Rich. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Sam. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started? I was very lucky, actually. Um, I uh, took myself off on the advice of my mother, who'd done voiceover when commercial radio first started, to um, my local radio station, Signal in Stoke-on-Trent, and said, can I have an audition to be a voiceover, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just me, isn't it, all over. And uh, a guy emerged, and it was the writer, Les Scott, who knew me when I'd managed the punk band Discharge and had written an article on us. And he said, hello, Tanya, what are you doing here? I said, well, you know, my mum thinks I should be a voiceover. What do you reckon? And he said, yeah, come on through, do an audition, meet Les Woolen, the producer. So Les, very kind of sombre compared to Les. This is Tanya. She'll be great. Have you ever done this before? No, but I've done loads of drama and I am a professional session singer. Okay, then. Sat me down, gave me a script. I read it. And they said, have you done this before? You've done this before. You're a hustler. I said, no, 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 I haven't. They said, well, that was bang on 30 seconds. Let's give her a harder one. So give me 20 seconds. Did that. Now, obviously, the VO style wasn't perfect, but they saw enough in me. And the greatest thing of all was I got trained on the job. So they had a female voice that they used regularly. And I spent two years being the second voice, which is why I'm really good at intonation. I just spent literally two years going, really? That number again? Where was that development? I'm going there now. Bye. And all this. And, uh, and it was great training. And then after two years, I had enough clips to make a reel. And there you go. So tell me what the second voice is then. So explain that. Well, this, they had a female voice who was obviously far more competent than I was at that time, who would do the majority of the stuff. So she'd do all the single VO, female VO stuff. And um, if they needed another voice, so say, for example, there was a two-parter. So she'd get the, the meat of it, and I'd just be the kind of voice oh. echoing back. So, she'd get, so, for example, I'd go, new kitchen, Sam. And she'd go, yes, that's right. I got it from blah, blah, kitchens, and blah, 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 blah. And i go, wow, that's great. What was that number? <laughs> so, so, that was, so that was going up and down the country that was sort no of... that was just in Stoke-on-Trent then okay. and then what happened was I after two years doing that I'd got enough stuff together to make a reel and I send it off to uh, JMS and Herowood Radio who then took me under their respective wings and taught me even more about being a VO <laughs> and from then I got more reels sent them off and that's when the real fabulous time of being a, a jobbing VO was because that's when we got our bookings a year in advance and drove around the country and worked with everybody and did everything and anything. So that's how you that's really how you learnt how to be the voice that you are now. 
Yes, I absolutely. Because the thing is, when you got to a station, you didn't know what to expect. So you could have had 10 scripts or you could have had 50 scripts. And every one you, you had to literally go from hard sell, soft sell, mother, grandma, child, witch, fairy. You never knew. And you were expected to do it quickly because, of course, in those days, there was no MP3s or WAVs. It was all done to tape. It had to be cut with a razor blade, you know, which is why, you know, we all have this fantastic breathing method. We all know intonation and we can all voice to time. Gosh, so so you were, you were good in the first place because presumably was being a singer, was that really helpful? Yes, I think so, because if you can hear the music in the copy, yeah. that really does help because it is a rhythm. There are rhythms in copy. That's why, you know, thinking about real inflection and how we actually, you know, bring things to life is really important. Yeah. Okay, so and now, so that you spent a long time working that circuit, did you? So you, I yeah. did, yeah, yeah. and uh, that's why I know all the kind of cracking old school voices. And when I say old school, I don't mean their voice age; I mean them as in their values and their skill set. Yeah, because if you couldn't do the job, you know, it was like if your name ain't on the door, you're not coming in. We had to deliver whatever we felt like. We always had to be fine and we always had to be on. So that was a, and a real flexibility, presumably, to be able totally. to just be able if to change on a six yes. month yeah. Oh, God, if you weren't versatile, you just, especially as a female voice, you needed to be super versatile and you just need to be able to change from one script to the next. So th- that model has virtually disappeared, has it? So voiceovers don't work in the same way anymore. No, no, they don't. They have it a lot easier. And um, <laughs> and uh, and that's why, you know, one of the things that I have a real problem with, because it's a very, it's a very tough industry, even now. In fact, it's so overcrowded now, it's probably even tougher in some respects for new voices. But yeah, I mean, you had to have that discipline, and you had to have the thickest of skins. I mean, it was just, it was never ending. So the way that people learn now, mm. so they don't, they're not necessarily learning in the same way that you did. So you were watching people and watching and learning on the job. So, so how has it all changed? Gosh, how's it all changed? I mean, I just wanted to say, going back to your watching people on the job, that's really how I learn. I mean, the first time I realised I could actually move when voicing was watching the, the amazing voice talent Ian Swan. <laughs> You know, I, I like watching you like you can move. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. And that changed everything for me because I hadn't been taught that before. Yeah. I'd been taught how to do everything with my face, but not with my body. And then Ian coming from an acting background showed how the two can connect. So sorry, I just had to just say that because I never, you know, that was in about 1989 or something yeah. um, <laughs> in the olden days. Um, but now um, how people are voicing, of course, with computers, they get endless times to do takes. Yeah. They can cut out every breath. They can even, as to my horror, I once got somebody say to me, a new producer didn't know me, don't worry if you can't do it to time, we can do it line by line. I was honestly, it's very rare I have nothing to say, but I was, my flabber was truly ghasted. I was like, what? What do you mean? I have to do it from the beginning because otherwise my timing's going to go off. And also the inflection's going to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yes, so. I, I've found that actually, that people like to take things line by line. And I oh, think that's no, really it's tricky. hideous. It's like the death of a spontaneous, beautiful performance, is that? Yeah. No, absolutely. And actually, going back to that idea of being able to move on the mic, I think a lot of people see voiceover as being quite rigid, actually. And they're so terrified about sort of going off mic. But that's something that you're really passionate about, aren't you? 
Yes, I am. Because the thing is, if you don't bring your natural expressions and some body language, because we have to give so much more behind the mic sometimes to make it really stand out in the listener's ear so they can see what we're talking about with their ears, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, and the thing is, if you've got a decent mic, if you know how to control your mic position, you will be on mic. But it's amazing, you know, the, the amount of people I personally work with that have had coaching and still don't know they're supposed to move their face or shoulders or hands or anything. It's appalling, <laughs> really. Well, I suppose because people are learning in a different way. So is that one of the reasons you became a coach or? Gosh, <laughs> there were lots of reasons I became a coach. Um, for years, people have said to me, why don't you help? Could you help out this voiceover with this? We've got this new voiceover. We really like their voice, but they don't know what to do with it. Can you help? And I actually thought maybe I should do a bit of this. And then I was listening to a lot of stuff coming out and I was thinking, oh, no, this could be so much better. Yeah. And so I decided I was going to try and raise the bar. I was going to try and coach students that had some talent, some resonance or timbre to their voice that I could think, yes, if you knew how to use this voice, you could really do well. And I would teach them the way I was taught and the way I learnt. And that would actually set the bar higher. And, uh, you know, they would be the real deal, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And now you still work, I mean, still work every day as a voice. So has that been a very useful part of your coaching Oh, yes, because, of course, I've had to stay extremely current. The thing is, the way we voiced in the 80s is not necessarily the way we should be voicing or are voicing now. Um, and so when I listen back to old reels of mine, I mean, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, because I'm just <laughs> terribly RP, you know, and it's all like this, unless it's a character thing. And um, now, of course, the natural read and actually feeling much more relaxed and into the into the actual body of the text and and feeling it more is so important and uh, yeah i um <laughs> i changed and i adapted and i learned more skills and uh, yeah i just adapted otherwise i wouldn't still be working today yeah yeah, yeah. And that's the difference as well. And you were saying actually just earlier, you were saying that there's it's a really crowded industry at the moment. So it used to be quite a small industry. You were quite a niche bunch of voices. So what do you think about the industry now? Oh, dear. <laughs> um, well, I have to say that there is a, a saying amongst really experienced, professional, great voiceovers that a lot of voiceovers or people claiming to be voiceovers in today's market would never have survived in our day. So in, in what way? Well, one, I think people haven't got a thick enough skin. And also the, the, the quality, you know, people, it's so easy to set up a studio. There's so many people that are saying they can be voiceovers. And I, it's, you can just go and buy yourself a website, you know, mm. joeblogsvoiceover.com. Everybody thinks it's just talking and reading. I've got a voice. My nan says I've got a nice voice. I can be a voiceover. And I'm afraid it's not true. And I have no problem with you broadcasting this, Sam, because if this is unpalatable to some people, then I don't really care. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, <laughs> so actually, actually, on that, you know, looking at it from that angle, what, what does a voice coach actually do then? Well, a voice coach should take, there's two streams to this. So let's go and take with the beginner, the inexperienced person that perhaps has had some experience in other regions. Maybe they've done singing, maybe they've done it, they've been actors um, and they've got a decent voice. And if they're a singer, they should understand breath control. And they decide, you know, I need to change my career or I'm not working as this. I need to do this. I'll try to be a voiceover. And so if they've got something going, a coach, a good coach should actually bring that out of them. 
Um, on-screen actors, brilliant. Those micro eye movements, fabulous. But in voiceover, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to give more with their actual face. And the, one of the worst things I found out only recently that a, an actor can do is watch themselves back on video when they're voicing because you look like a lunatic <laughs> if you're doing it properly. <laughs> and, of course, they're so used to having this all in the eyes, they can't quite com you know, compute the two things. But if they can get over that, they will usually become decent VOs. So when you're, sorry, just to interrupt, I was going to say, when you're working with actors then, that you were talking about the subtlety of, say, an eye movement, you've got to get that subtlety into the voice. Is that quite a difficult thing then for an actor to learn? Yes, it is, if they've done, especially if they've done a lot of screen. Because they're so used to not showing anything. Because we all know, well, I, maybe we don't all know. I know that when I worked as a VO, I got my first on-camera job. And when I actually saw it back, I actually cried. <laughs> <laughs> In private, obviously. Um, because I was so appalled at how terrible I looked. Because, of course, I was far too big for the screen. Mm. Because I was used to being behind a microphone where you need to be bigger. And so, that, that, so that's when you're working with quite experienced people, people who've got an acting background. So what if somebody that's totally new comes along? Well, when I coach, people have to audition to work with me and everybody gets the same two pieces. And I do this because it levels the playing field and it also lets me hear what they are instinctively going to do. You see, some people have got that kind of instinctive feel for VO mm -hmm. and some people don't. Now, let's say they do. That's, that's an easy one. OK, they move on to the next step. You know, it's like a monopoly board. <laughs> but if they don't, but I can hear something in their tone or I think, gosh, you've got such a nice tone. You just need to be steered how to use it. So if somebody's never done it before, but they record the, um, the auditions and there's no embarrassment in their voice, which I can hear, by the way, um, <laughs> um, there's no, you know, they, they really give it their best shot without thinking, I'm a voiceover uh, and, uh, and all that stuff. Then I'll go, actually, can I work with you a bit more and let's see what we can do. And then we take it from step by step. And it's how you see, it's not just about the voice. It's about the ears. If you can't hear, you can't change. And if you can't change, you will not get better. Yeah. So in, on, on that basis, how would you describe your approach to coaching? What, <laughs> why, yeah. how, how, how do you coach somebody? Well, um, <laughs> I am harsh but fair. No, I'm firm but fair. And what I do is I encourage, but I don't give people false hope. And I don't lie to them about their ability. So they have to do the homework. They have to record. And they have to improve and get it. I don't run a course. I don't, you know, people say to me, how long will it take me? I don't know. How long is a piece of string? I cannot say. But what I can say is that you'll know when you're ready because you'll get that light bulb moment. The student will get the light bulb light bulb moment and switch on and they'll think oh yeah I understand that now and why I have to do that and that's what I have to do for that bit and they just get it and when they get it it's like that's why I coach actually <laughs> because one of the main reasons because I love seeing people just get that light bulb moment and so it's strict and they have to jump through a lot of hoops before they get to make a reel but the one thing I can say is that when they do make a reel Every voice style on that reel is genuine. They can reproduce that at the drop of a phone call and uh, they can self-direct, they can take direction and they are formed voiceovers. And the only thing then they need to get is more and more experience and learn even more things. So being able to adapt themselves like that, being able to react in the moment, that is incredibly useful. Yeah, I mean, I had a student that uh, got to the stage of making reels with me 
And as you know, Sam, you've got to be pretty good to do that. And uh, her first booking was with two different American clients. And because she jumped through all the, all the hoops with me, which is working with producers she's never seen, taking different styles of direction, learning to say yes, even though she might have thought she'd done that already. You just shut up. You never say anything. And she said, she wrote to me, she said, I'm so glad that you put me through all that because without it, I would have gone to pieces. Whereas I was a little bit nervous because it was a new client, but not nervous because I didn't know what I was doing. And that is key. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I worked with you, I mean, one one of the things is that you, one of the great things is that you get us to work with directors. Now, if you haven't worked with a director before, that's an unbelievably useful <laughs> thing to be able to do um, and different directors at that. So um, being able to respond is such an important part of coaching, being coached. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, And also being able to self-direct because the more experience you get, the more you can go to yourself. No, that wasn't right. No, that wasn't right. You know, yeah. and you just know. Yeah, absolutely. So do you teach mic technique? You, do you go into that sort of depth as well? Oh, yes. I mean, I do. You know, I mean, obviously, um, when a lot of my students, particularly inexperienced people start off, I don't encourage them to go and buy a great big studio setup. There's no point at this stage because, to be honest, they may not get further than lesson four with me. But yeah, I, I teach them about staying on mic, how to work the mic, as in if they're going to be shouting or projecting. I also do teach them they don't need to project because unless it is a shouty part of the script, of course, because that's what we have microphones for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they do all that work for us. We don't need to be shouting into it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that a lot of people think they have to do, especially if they've perhaps come from a stage background. That's one of the hardest things to get them to back down a bit. And actually getting empathy into the read. Mm. That's a very, um, <laughs> a very important part of so many different types of reads, being able to empathise with your audience. What are your techniques around that? Well, you know, I can't tell you all my techniques, Sam, otherwise I'll have to kill you. <laughs> you know, I have some very strange yeah. techniques that really work. Um, but the one thing I could say to anybody listening into this who is a, a, an aspiring voiceover or even a voiceover that finds it hard to find empathy is to not only think about who you're talking to. You know, people talk about connect to the copy. Think about who you're talking to. Yes, that's absolutely correct. But don't just stop there. Think about how the person that you're talking to is reacting to what you are saying. So you're actually in a conversation with a person that we can't see or hear. Yeah. And using your face and your natural facial movements, using your head position, really changes the way a line can be delivered. And you know, it sounds a bit crazy when you say it in isolation, but you know this works, Sam. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I remember it well. <laughs> but actually, the, the conversational voice, you were talking about it there, actually, that you're having a conversation with somebody. That whole conversational voice, which is quite a contemporary um, feel now. It's been, it's been around for so many years, but that's one of the most difficult voices to actually perfect, isn't it? Yes, it is. And especially sometimes for very established voiceovers who have been very used to doing things in a particular style and they've got to suddenly change because that style is perhaps not de rigueur as it once was um, and I, I, one of the things I think people don't realise is how small it is yeah. you know when we're real there's lots of things that make it a read natural for example I'm just speaking to you off the top of my head as anyone who's going to listen to this will know <laughs> but <laughs> um, when we are having a conversation when we are being natural we don't speak in complete beautiful sentences. We put in micro pauses to let the lines sync with our listener or our friend or whatever. We, we change paces. 
like I've just done then with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to show how it works. And that the more you put real life speech techniques that you probably don't even think about into your read, the better it will record. And sometimes people can't believe it until they really hear it. Yeah, that's true. So actually, and talking about established voices, I know in America, a lot of people have coaches. Most voiceovers would say they have a coach. And in in Britain, it's often seen as something that uh, is only necessary for people who are just starting out. But for more established voices, you might want to change genre. You might want to move into something different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for example, you know, IVR. Okay, I've been making IVR messages since 1996, dear. (laughs) And and I think I was probably one of the first, if not the first female voice to do that. Um, And it's such a specific style. And there are bad IVR voiceovers out there. And there's also Joan in the office. Not her real name. Um, <laughs> but if you get a decent VO doing a, a, an interactive voice response system or they sound really caring, they actually give a damn, it really elevates that company. Uh, you know, anybody that's ever phoned PayPal, I don't know who the man is, but he's this lovely northern guy and he really feels like he's there and he's cuddling you in a nice blanket. He's lovely. And you want to tell him, you want to hang on the line and say, I'm so sorry, you know. you know, Yeah, and you think, that's okay, mate. <laughs> You know, and that skill, people don't realise the skill. So say, for example, you're a VO that wants to get into on hold and you, you're not doing very well with that because perhaps you're doing it, you know, you're approaching it in too much of a, a, an ad, advertising style or whatever. If you came to me and said, can I have a masterclass on that? I'd say, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like e-learning is another real skill, but people don't realise that. They just think they can just do everything in the same way and you can't anymore. Yeah. It's, so why, why is it important for voice directors to be looking for voices who have the right sort of training? Well, first of all, I think a voice director should look for either a voiceover that's established with their current reels or get them to just do you a very short audition because you'll, a, a decent voice director will know instantly, you know, Ah, yes, they've got the tone, they've got the delivery. You know, that's one way of doing it. If it's inexperienced voices, I mean, um, you know, you know, my company's called Richcraft. <laughs> Clever, huh? <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I've, I've got this thing called the Rich List. Um, and uh, on there are some of the voices that I have trained that have made reels that I think are outstanding. And any producer that came to looked at that list, I would hope would know, Actually, if they've been trained by Tanya, they must be bloody good if they're on that list. I'm going to give them a go. The thing is, at the end of the day, if you book somebody and they're no good, just don't book them again. You know, the short, sharp, shock technique really does work. But how, if they are out there, they're looking for, for voice, and you say it's, a, it's a, an industry that is now awash with people with mics, basically. Mm. Is it easy to spot the trained voice from the untrained voice? Well, this is one. It depends on how experienced the director is, doesn't it? Because if they're not experienced themselves, they won't know. Um, you see, I don't want to go off piste here, but a show reel is not always a real reel. Yeah, a show reel. There are many places you can get a show reel. I could literally send my husband, who has got a lovely voice, but when he records, he sounds like Alan Partridge. <laughs> and um, not quite as bad, but you know what I mean. Now, I could send Matthias off and he could go to a lot of places and they would literally feed him line by line. He would make a reel. And my goodness, it would sound great because he actually has quite a nice timbre to his voice. And basically, that's the problem. 
So there are things you can look out for as a director, and I'm sure I'm teaching directors to suck eggs or something. Um, if you hear a voice that you've never heard of before and their reel is peppered with spots for top brands like Andrex and Purcell and things, and you think, mm, I don't think you are the voice of them, are you? That's usually a good indication that actually that reel yeah. is fake. But let's say you listen to that and you thought, actually, the first, let's take the first read on that reel. Let's say that's their signature voice, you know, they hear about the signature voice. Um, I tell you what, just because I'm a little bit doubtful as whether they really are the voice of Bazooka that Veruca or whatever, um, I'm going to get them to do a little audition for me in the style I want them to do. Any decent voice with a decent studio will find the time. They will bob in and say, yeah, sure. They'll probably give you three takes, different styles. That's, they don't need to go more than three because the producer's only got, and the director's only got so much time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and you work, you work with a lot of different directors, obviously, you know. Yeah. On a <laughs> yes. So you actually know what it's like to be directed by them. What attributes do you think a good voice director needs? Oh, well, a good voice director... First of all, as I say, it would help if they understood the language of VO. Mm -hmm. What voices really find difficult, particularly established voices, is when a voice director who doesn't know how to voice tells them how to say something mm. and does it completely wrongly. And then if the voiceover copies them back, they're like, no, that's not what I meant. Yeah, so that's one thing. So, and, and understanding what they mean. So if they say to a voiceover, I want it to sound more warm, Mm -hmm. that's fine to an established VO. They know exactly what to do. But an inexperienced voice doesn't know. In fact, I even saw that on a, on a group chat the other day. I've been asked to sound warm. How do I do that? Well, <laughs> to me, it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, that should be voicing 101. But, you know, if you don't know how to sound warm, you've got a problem. But then they should be able to then say to the director, well, what do you mean? Yeah. Can you show me how to sound warm or can you tell me? And of course, unless they're an experienced director who've worked with loads of different great voice talents, they won't know. And why should they know? It's not their fault. They're yeah. not there as a voiceover coach, are they? No, no, no. Absolutely. It's a difficult situation. It really is. Yeah. So is there a top tip you could give to a director in terms of how to get a good performance out of their voices? I think it would depend on the script, but let's say it was a script where, let's say it was a script for a funeral director's, uh -huh. okay? And they've got a voice, a youngish voice or a new voice. When I say young, I don't necessarily mean, remember, it's all about your voice age, folks, not your real age. Otherwise, I wouldn't still be working. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, basically, uh, perhaps they should say things like, okay, listen, I'd like to imagine that you're looking at your grandma or you're looking at somebody, you, who do you really care about? And they might say, oh, I care about my dog. Okay, look at your dog. <laughs> this is going to sound terrible recorded. And I want you to imagine that it's dying <laughs> and you're holding its paw and you're telling it how much you love it. But you're not saying the words from your own heart and mind. You're saying the words written on that script. Now go. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you know, they need to find something that they can make the voiceover relate to because that's what I do with coaching. You know, I've got the the story of the guy who was a great VO I worked with. Every time he said this piece of copy, it was rubbish. And I said, what is the matter? And then I realised, as I said it, ah, you don't like the name Sally, do you? And he went, no, it's my worst name. I hate it. I said, right, I can hear that in your voice. What's your favourite name? He said, Chloe. I said, right, change it to Chloe. I don't care for this moment. Just change it. He did. It was brilliant. I said, now, when you say Sally, I want you to think Chloe. And it worked. 
boom, yeah. there you go. So it's getting the voice to connect with the copy as if they're connecting with the person that's listening yes. to it. They have to see a person on the end of it. And then, as I say, said earlier, they have to imagine how that person or dog is, is reacting to them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think of. You know, if you're doing a chocolate ad and you hate, I get people, I don't like chocolate. What do you like? I really like yogurt. <laughs> right then. So when you're saying chocolate, you're thinking yogurt. Boom, they're there. Yeah, yeah. It's am- you've just got to use a li- you've got to think outside of the box as a coach and as a as a director. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you've got to use. Actually, yes, yeah, true. You've got to use your imagination as a director. Yeah, to get absolutely. That connection from your voice to the copy. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So um, <laughs> now I remember, yeah, we're, we're going to finish off soon, I think, but I remember you telling me a story about uh, how a director could recognise a Tanya student uh, just by this is the first time they met them. Can, can you tell me that story? Yes, yes. So I, I was sitting in my booth voicing away one day and the phone rang and I thought, oh, I can just stop this and I'll pick up the phone. Hello. Oh, such and such a body. I've just worked with one of your students. Oh, that's great. Which one was it? Oh, good. I said, but how did you know? Did you ask them? How did you know they were one of my students? We didn't need to ask them. I said, oh, why is that then? I said, one, every time they kind of, if they made a mistake, they clicked their fingers and picked up perfectly in exactly the right cadence. But the most important thing we knew they were your students is because they could breathe through their arse. <laughs> and can you explain that, Tanya? <laughs> Breathing through your arse technique, Samantha. Yes, I can. Um, <laughs> it's basically, I, it's a breath technique so that because I come from the age of tape when every breath had to be cut out with a razor blade with a very pained expression on the uh, engineer's face, um, so you didn't want to do it. We had to learn to breathe quietly, which is why we are able, us established and very experienced voices, to take enough breath in and hold the breath and work with the breath in a certain way that if you won't hear it or you'll barely hear the breath, so it could actually be left in if necessary. And that is a technique that a lot of people don't know. And of course, you know, I know it, other voices know it, but not all of them are coaching it. (laughs) And I'd just like to actually, just before we go, could you just tell me a little bit more about the Rich List that you've got? Because that's something that's relatively new and it's part of Richcraft, isn't it? It is, yes. So basically, I decided I should showcase some of my students on another platform. And uh, because they have to be the best of the best to be on that list, um, they are people that have really put the time in, worked, and I know, and I can put my faith and trust in them that they will not let either themselves or me down or a director or producer down if they get a gig based on something on their reel. Um, you know, and that's why I did it, because I said I wanted people to think, if Tanya thinks these people are good, they must be good. Because I want people to trust me if I say, you should use this voice. And it's not always voices I've coached. It may be other, there's lots of other voices I recommend for things all the time. I have no hesitation doing so either. Um, but if they're on that list... They have got through the door. They've got the golden ticket and there's no reason why they should not be able to do everything asked of them with bells on. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know that you're very, very hot on the fact that if you've got it on your reel, you need to be able to reproduce that in a session, you know, when in either a directed session or a self-directed session. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like long corporates. Every, anybody can sound good on half a sheet of A4. Mm. Try doing 20 pages and having the same energy from the top to the bottom, the same connectedness, the same commitment to the script. Yeah. That's hard. You know, e-learning, 
oh my goodness, some of the e-learning styles I hear out there are terrible. You can tell a good voice doing e-learning because they're not patronising, they don't sound bored, and they're not going, hello, this is e-learning. You know, we don't want to do that. So again, it's it's really important that you get good voices that can really deliver the goods. Absolutely. And it's without that training that we had or, the, you know, that you, people like you had 20, 25 years ago. <laughs> Very kind. <laughs> you, that's had to be replaced by something. And this, this kind of coaching, this kind of rigorous coaching, the sort of coaching that you bring to it is the way, really, is one of the ways that new voices and even established voices who want to move into different genres can actually find a way through of of making themselves a a professional. Yeah, it actually, it really, really should be. There is no get-rich-quick scheme with voiceover. Yeah. Whatever you might think, you know... (laughs) You need to, the one thing I can't do is give people the experience. But working with me, because they don't get to do a reel till they can really do it, that's kind of as good as it gets. And if that takes a year, it takes a year, you know, because they've got to be, they've got to be the real deal. Absolutely. And and directors need to know they're the real deal. That's, yeah. that's the, you know, really crucial thing because it's, they're going out there and they're doing a job of work and they're getting paid for it. They need to be able to step up to it. If you've got somebody off the strength of their reel, you get them in and you know that you're going to have to baby food them, baby, sorry, baby food, spoon feed them (laughs) baby food the whole way through the, the session, then they are not a fully formed voiceover. And most directors don't have the time for that. The only time they ever find the time is if that person is famous, you know, always the bridesmaid is a professional voiceover, never the bride. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and on that note, yes. so I go to put my I wedding think... dress on. <laughs> oh, I think we could do that in the booth. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you so much, Tanya. Oh, thank you're so you. welcome. And I'm very honoured to be asked. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble on. <laughs> no, on the contrary, no, it was great and really useful stuff. I think, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing that actually isn't really spoken about. The fact that coaching is such an important part of becoming a voice these days. That's it for this week on Talking Creative. As always, all the links to Tanya, her rich list, and Richcraft itself are in the show notes. So until next time, this was Talking Creative, and I'm Samantha Boffin. And if you have a project you need some voiceover help with, please do get in touch. That's it for this week on Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing. If you're new here, do take a moment to subscribe, rate and review on your favourite podcast app or head over to talkingcreative.co.uk where you'll find the whole series so you can get the most from every single booking.